Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. All right, this is happening and we're about to begin a crazy adventure. I can't wait to introduce my guest today. He has just experience coming out of his ears and he's not afraid to tell it like it is. He's passionate about shaking up the scene in the B2B marketing world, demand gen. And again, decades of experience just, just oozing out of his ears. And I can't wait to just unleash him on a myth. He has actually done so many crazy things. He actually managed to 4X inbound demand his first year in one particular organization. We're going to talk about different ways you can, you can think and then grow these programs. Man, he loves buyer-centric marketing. He is a fellow podcaster, host of The Loop, VP of Marketing at Cognizant, Liam Bartholomew. Welcome to the show, sir. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Did you get lost? I got lost in your introduction. You're doing so much. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I did. And I was like, wow, is that me? I feel, yeah. I'm so, I was like, yeah, very nice. Very flattered. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to pass you this thing. It's heavy, but clearly you work out. One second. <laughs> okay, here we go. Thor's hammer. Okay. Grab that, sir. Take that. You got it? Yeah. All right, great. <laughs> All right, take Thor's hammer, smash for me some kind of myth, bogus strategy, misconception, set the record straight once and for all. Okay, so my myth is that the traditional marketing funnel doesn't exist. Um, so we know that buying decisions aren't linear. Uh, so why are we always trying to force people down an artificial funnel? Uh, and that's what I really want to ask and get to the, to the bottom of. Um, and we know as well that when we try and attribute to this artificial funnel that we end up creating, you know, poor leads and using poor marketing tactics. So really want to smash that, that this, this, this traditional funnel that we all use, it doesn't actually exist. It's all, it's all made up. Where did this come from? Why, why did we glom onto this thing? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think part of it's come from vendors right who it makes sense to to sort of like create uh, a funnel that's like easy to follow and, and will help like sell their products right um where yeah. you can if you've got like a crm uh like salesforce where you can track a lead follow it through to that that contact and to that opportunity on the way down to closed one it makes perfect sense for you know these marketing automation systems and CRMs to perpetuate this because then they can say, look at all this stuff you can do and you can perfectly track it. And, you know, you influence this one person in X, Y, Z ways and they slowly move down. And then you can see that this one white paper download led to, to revenue. And it's a, it's a great story. Um, and, you know, there's some elements of it where you can track it perfectly and it does work. Um, so there's, there is like, you know, some truth in what can be said. And then that's become like a, these, these big pieces of tech that become such huge parts of our like marketers' lives um, have then been able to perpetuate this. And then, you know, on top of that, then you get like uh, professional services like Gartner and Forrester just telling the same story and teaching yeah. the same thing. But actually, none of these 
none of the vendors or the consultants are actually executing on this. Um, and then sometimes when you really break it down and assess it, you can see that it's broken really. And it, and it's not something that it's not really how buying decisions are made, which we know just by thinking critically about how we buy anything ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking of some of the recent purchases I've, I've made. It's, it's been more like a random line drawing all over the place and talking with people and going over here and then going over there. Yeah. And if you tried to have me in a, in a one way direction, I don't, I don't think that would work. I think I'd be driving against the the flow of traffic on that one. Right. Sometimes I buy probably in this perfect linear way. <laughs> Sometimes that does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't, but then other times I would, you know, my first touch with an organization could be like years before then I'm not ready, then something changes and then randomly I'm now got a need and then I get a cold call and then I buy. Uh, other times they, I've maybe follow a company for years and I'm being nurtured and educated and I love them. I've just never had the need or the ability or sign off to purchase. And then all that nurturing works because when I do, I go forward with it. So yeah, there's so many different ways that you could get from that, from point A to point B. Um, and like it doesn't all fit this perfect awareness, consideration, uh, persuade, you know, convert. Like I'm in different areas of that funnel the whole time. But to kind of devil's advocate, doesn't it kind of fit that or does it not at all? Do we do we literally in our buying process skip around like we jump to some late stage thing and then come back and then, you know, how what have you seen in like in real life? Does it just break all the rules? So I think maybe the, the the key thing is like, there are elements of it that's true. So like, I would need to be made aware of a product. I would need to receive, um, I would need to also be at some point persuaded that that product is worth my time. So, and then I would eventually need to be captured and converted. So like those stages exist, but the idea that we, we structure them in that way and the, I don't get like, randomly made aware, then maybe sometimes converted, then unconvert because I'm not interested, then later persuaded. It's the order of which they come. And this funnel that it's linear, I think is 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 the is the myth. That's the the bit that I don't but that isn't true. And then what we've been taught is to set up our marketing in that way. So we, you know, create this awareness, capture them. And then only once they're aware can we then send them product information to to like help them with consideration and persuasion. Whereas actually sometimes seeing the product first is exactly what I need to do. Um, sometimes just getting onto being converted and speaking to someone actually then makes me later become aware of it. And I think that that process of how you can do it, um, is what is what isn't true and what can change. Um, and we see this like in what we've done at marketing at Cognizant is that previously we had, you know, we would create these funnels. We built the funnels in LinkedIn. We had campaigns that were like, that were running with awareness and thought leadership. And then only if they'd viewed those ads, then we would like send them into another bucket that then ran them with a ton of ads for product. Um, and actually all we ended up doing was limiting and making that audience smaller. People, you know, we kept getting, you know, feedback. They're like, I've seen all your marketing, um, like you some great content, but I have no idea what you do. Um, <laughs> and it's because we were limiting who could then see the product and, um, there's no, there's literally no need to do that. 
We want to show everyone everything sort of all of the time um, so that they can learn about it in the way that actually suits them. I mean, I appreciate you sharing that too. The, the idea that you would get complimented on the content, which we thought as marketers was our dream, only to have them followed up with, yeah, but still no idea what you do, <laughs> you know? Man, you, you guys are thought leaders in the space. You, I, I learned a lot from you, but still no idea what you actually do. Yeah. So thanks. It's like, oh, man, <laughs> we're entertaining the masses. We're even teaching the masses, but we're not bridging that gap from just general thought leadership to understanding what I do. I, I've experienced that too before, you know, doing podcasts, talking about podcasts. And then I, I remember having a conversation with someone after a podcast and they asked me who produced my podcast. And I'm like, I do. We produce podcasts at Ringmaster. Like somehow I had missed that communication. Mm -hmm. uh, and so how, do, I mean, just talk more about how you solve that how, mm -hmm. and how you, you're not so fixated on the content, but on the, the end result. Yeah. So I think the way we really solved it was we had to think about our content in um, different, different levels, right? So what, how we then broke that up is we have on, and this is when I think about how we structure it, particularly for like paid, um, we'll have like thought leadership content. We'll have content, uh, was, well, well, what we then call content, uh, bucket, which is content with a dotted line back to your product. So like thought leadership might be, we're talking about the ethereal, <laughs> like the, like lead gen to demand gen or like you know, how to like, how outbound is changing. Like there might be like some of the topics we'd talk about. And then when you get into content, we're talking about, uh, things with a dotted line back to the product. So it might be like for us, like cold calling, because you know, obviously use co cognizance data to connect with the right person. And that's really important. Uh, or it might be, you know, how to build better audiences on pa in paid platforms, because you can do use cognizance data to do the same thing. And we don't necessarily talk about the cognizant itself, but there's a use case in what we're talking about that you could take back and use our product in. And then after that, we have buckets uh, for product value, as we call it, which is literally, you know, content around the product, showing how it works, things it can do, use cases, value that value that meets the pain points of that persona that we're, we're targeting. And then social proof. Uh, so we can show people how to that persona, how someone in that, their, their, their sort of market um, with the same role of them have used the product and, and love it. And then that's hit with a layer of retargeting that on the, which we have these retargeting buckets, that, which then may be a more conversion um, base, which some of those are like videos of me, which you'll get <laughs> you on our <laughs> website and get cookied of just saying, hey, take a demo, you know, directly talking to marketers, for example, for that, for that persona. Now, we don't then create this into a funnel. We target this to these, these, these different levels to all of our um, ICP all of the time. So I could be going on to LinkedIn and Facebook or uh, YouTube. And, you know, on one platform, I see an ad about from product value. And I'm like, oh, wow, I've learned a bit about Cognizant's product here. And then, you know, I go on Facebook and then I've learned something about... Uh, I don't know, lead gen to demand gen and how to switch from like the thought leadership side. And then I go on YouTube and I'm hit with a, um, 
a quick sort of like cold cooling, uh, uh, like, yeah, um, run through and, and, and like top cold cooling tips. Um, and at each time I'm being that I, we're not assuming at any one point that I'm of what like place I am in my buying cycle. So, you know, maybe I'll skip past the product value one because I'm not interested in the product at the moment, but I'll stick to the, I'll, I'll be very interested in the thought leadership or content one, or maybe I've been sat here the whole time scratching my head thinking I don't have any data in my CRM and I'll see the product value one and I'll be like, wow, this is exactly what I needed. I can't believe they've, they've like, you know, worked right. that out about, about me. So it's about not having that assumption of where someone is in, t- in terms of their readiness and to, to purchase. So this makes a lot of sense. And I want to, I want to go back to the original mismatch and, and you, you clarified it for me. Cause I was, you know, sometimes when you get the hammer in hand, I, I just feel like smashing everything. <laughs> but you, you particularly said the myth is about the linear aspect of it. Mm-hmm. The, the different zones, the different stages, the different needs customers had. Do you just express now the idea that they need content around the, around, you know, the apps or the products or the services, these things still matter. It's just not that they're following some rigid ruler driven line. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly that. So it's, and it's not me prescribing like, okay, you've clicked on two of my emails. That must mean now you're ready to see what my product has to offer. And I'll be like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not prescribing that. I'm just, we're just putting out the content and, you know, people will interact uh, and engage with what suits them at that moment. But couldn't you argue that, you know, like if you, it's like, okay, I just did one action. Now here's 30 potential options you could take. Is that too much? Like can, can buyers get kind of stalled from too many options? Um, yeah, I think that the, the point is, is as well on all of these levels is that good content will appease different parts of that, that like that buyer anyway. So, and that's probably key as well. So yeah, maybe the product content, it might not be of super, like super interest to them if they're not ready to buy the the product. But if you're, if it's interesting, meets the pain of that persona and something, people will watch it, learn from it anyway, and then move on their way. Great content and thought leadership around, um, you know, jobs that they do, like, and like for reps, cold calling, that, you know, they'll be looking for any tips and tricks they can take away from that. And if it's entertaining and valuable at the same time, we'll be putting them in. Um, and the same goes for thought leadership. So I think when we're giving all of this content away, especially on pay channels, we're not actually asking for anything back, you know, other than obviously to try and engage them. That's we're asking for someone's attention and time, but we're not, I'm not asking for an action back and Therefore, it shouldn't overwhelm. It's just like something that people can engage with. Um, but I'm not, we're not hitting them up, calling, saying, you know, you've engaged with our content. You know, these are the actions I kind of want you to take now. It's like, it becomes part of people's like, e- like ecosystem online. And that's, and that's yeah. the aim. If you had to think of this whole process, let, let's say someone's listening right now and they're like, shoot, I have been forcing people into this maze that only I can control. Mm-hmm. What, what's the first step to breaking out of that? And 
rearranging your structure to be more like what we're just describing? So I think number one, you have to start with measuring marketing on pipeline and revenue and not on, on leads and MQLs. So I think part of the problem with how we're set up before was that we, uh, everyone is like filtered in like doing this sort of waterfall uh, journey down the funnel. Uh, and therefore that means that the, the buck stops really for marketing at getting MQLs in. Cause if you can get the MQL in and then you can, uh, you've got the lead in now, once I've got the contact information, I can now nurture them through whatever platform I'm using, which used to be, and I can track perfectly. So, you know, Liam, Bartholomew for Cognizance come into the CRM. Now I've got his contact details and he's assigned to this ebook he downloaded. And I need to be able to prove that that ebook download campaign led to the revenue. Now I'm going to set, put him into a ton of email nurtures and, uh, and I'll warm him up. And then by the end of six weeks, he'll have moved through uh, consideration and persuade, and we will send him an email with a demo, a demo request. Um, and the whole time you're really just then measuring the volume of MQLs that you can get in with the assumption that you'll have conversion rates down the line. Um, but what you're, what we see is that actually, and we had this, that those content leads or those downloads that you get actually don't, they don't convert very often. So we, mm. we found that, um, our content leads were going from lead to closed one. I think it was, a a uh, I think it was one in every 2000 became a close one. Wow. Uh, whereas the, the difference from like, I think for the, then inbound was that we'd have, it was one in like about one in every 25. And that's like inbound of people that coming in, raise their hand saying, I want to see your product. I think the old traditional funnel makes us just want to collect these leads and, and run them through the funnel. Whereas if we're just saying, when we looked at, driving people only to like submit a demo form, come in inbound. I don't need your, I don't need your contact details. I don't need anything. I'm going to influence you out in the, in the real world, um, with lots of different content from all different stages of the funnel. Um, and then when you come to speak to us, you'll be ready to buy because you've been educated broadly and you're, and you chose to come and the soon right. and people's intent, people saying, I want to see your product. Is the it's way stronger than than anything else. Okay, I can I can see that shifting the goalpost can really impact everything you're describing. Having the right destination in mind, having the right goal, marching in the same direction, understanding that again, it's not about hey, my content's the best on the planet, but we went out of business because no one bought it. Mm -hmm. It's just not it's not the not the set. Where do where do you see the biggest hangups when trying to go in this direction? What are the biggest obstacles to rearranging from that linear mode to what it really should be? Yeah, I think um, one of the, the biggest obstacles is being able to just, uh, I think, create a sort of like a content engine that is um, that services everyone. So at the moment, um, and like when you start off, you probably are set up, I think, in a way um, to fit that sort of linear model. And you'll be, mate, your marketing team might be completely 
aimed at creating this sort of like lead gen content, uh, eBooks. Um, and actually you, what you want to do is be able to grow out of that and start building brand new content that isn't focused on, uh, getting contact data that you could, or like getting a lead that you can then push through the funnel. And so you need to actually start creating a ton of new different types of content and getting more creative and also upskilling your team and yourselves to be able to do that. You want to be able to start creating things like a podcast, uh, which in the linear buying model uh, is extremely hard to track. Like uh, <laughs> you don't know how you're influencing people with your podcast in the same way because I can't squarely fit them into my my box, all these lists. Unless it's the guest. You know, if the guest spends a million dollars, then there's some pretty good direct attribution yes. there. But you're right. Everyone else, no idea. No idea. And, you know, podcast analytics, we all know is like, can find out how many male or female or where they're maybe listening from. And that's, right. What device, right? What app is yeah. about it. Exactly. Um, but yeah, well, stopping short of the guests. Yeah, that's about it. And even then the, the guests could come on and a year, two years later, come back and purchase. But in your CRM, it might come up that they, they've come through Google ads or something else. So it's hard, yeah. to, it's, it's hard to attribute. Um, so you've got to start creating brand new content and content that um, is able to influence and target everyone. Um, and I think that's probably the main challenge is getting a new engine going that is suitable to to like targeting people in that way and not trying to just, you know, not with the simple goal of, of basically data capture to, to push them through a funnel. Yeah. Sick. With all this working really well right now, what would you say are some of the challenges that you're directing your team and your efforts to 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 addressing? Like you've set this up, what what are the things that now you're focused on? Yeah, I think now and what something that I'm finding is actually interesting with with this model is we've probably got like the the content engine running. Um, really pleased with that like what we would call the, the media machine, <laughs> a machine yeah. that turns out media. Um, but now it's really about actually how we can hone it to bring in the right types of customers. Um, so I feel like we've, we went one from one to the other in terms of, you know, being maybe too prescriptive when you're mm. running, trying to just push people through a funnel and, and taken leads in that way to them maybe being extremely broad. Um, and actually there's, there are customers that are obviously better for business, um, than others. And it's not that we want to turn anyone else away, but we definitely want to get more of the right people in. Um, so now we're trying to lay, I suppose, on top of that media machine that creates all of the great brand awareness, some super targeted marketing where we're creating very specific content for like high value target accounts um and i suppose sort of move more towards sort of like account-based marketing so it's trying yeah. to merge the two together this great demand gen approach and this great account-based marketing approach it, we're sometimes when rivers come together they get all crazy in the part where they do yeah what kind of what what does that look like though when when you merge these two efforts, what do you, what do you think that'll be? What do you think that'll turn into? Yeah. So we can I give actually some example of where we're starting. So we, at the moment, 
we'll have we have uh campaigns running that are targeting different segments um so the demand gen element so it'd be broad segments so we'll have sales sales persona marketing persona rev ops and we'll do that at smb mid-market enterprise and that will have those different buckets that i suggested where we're, talk, we're providing content all the time but then now layered over the top of that so that's influencing everyone hopefully but then layered over the top of that we'll have one-to-one abm campaigns where we're targeting specific uh companies from target accounts that we're desperate to get in and and to influence and then also one to few on industry specific campaigns where we can actually make that messaging super tailored to that industry as well and we're not being too broad um and the hope here uh and we kind of really recently started this on the on this abm side but the hope is that with the the wider catch-all campaigns we're still influencing but then we can actually show them real value with really highly targeted um mm-hmm. content that speaks to them and then they might see that abm campaign go away come back and engage with some of our broader campaigns and then all of a sudden we'll feel like we're sort of everywhere at once um and like one the big demand gen net is actually you know supporting the the abm um efforts at the same time gotcha cool man I picked cool i like that well Really, all this has me thinking, like, man, you know all these things. Who are you? Who the heck are you? How do you know this stuff? Can you take me back in time? Little Liam days, did you know you're going to be a marketing leader on podcasts, teaching the world about a better approach? Like, take me back in time, Little Liam days. What were you thinking about? Uh, Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, So, yeah, I mean... No, I didn't really know I was going to get into B2B marketing and uh, not didn't know I was going to, you know, get into the point that I'd be talking about it. I'm not sure if that's actually something, you know, maybe, maybe I, I don't know if younger Liam would be particularly proud of that. I just think it was extremely lame, but like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, um, no, I, I mean, I went to, I went to, uh, university fully wanting to be, um, a psychologist actually and I did psychology wow. at university uh and then finished university and decided I didn't want to do that anymore because it sounded incredibly um emotionally taxing <laughs> so I, <laughs> yeah. I thought no I kind of want I don't I want an easier life uh and um I got my first job um starting at at Thomson Reuters um in the support team just because I wanted to do some I just wanted to get some work under my belt sure. uh, and moved into B2B marketing there. And then that's in fact where I met um, Alistair Corsi, who's the CMO at Cognizant. And when she started, uh, she started at Cognizant as head of marketing. It was a, she was building out the team from scratch. Um, yeah. And she messaged me being like, do you want to come join me at this crazy startup? Um, I'd love to work with you again. And yeah, managed to convince me. And yeah, I suppose now I haven't, yeah, I haven't looked back. Man, it's crazy. It's crazy to think that, you know, you'd wind up all of, and, and now, I mean, now you really are at the forefront. You, you're, you've sensed that the market is actually this way, right? It's not this myth that we're all following into. And now you're, you're making things happen. I think, I think little Liam would probably be pretty stoked. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, I got, I've got a hypothetical question for you. If okay. you're ready. All right. You see, I may or may not have a time machine here in New Hampshire, right? So, all right, all right. You come visit, come visit. Business trip to Boston, right? <laughs> have you drive up, get some lobster, get some beer, and then you use the time machine, right? It's in the backyard covered in tarp. So, but it's a particular kind of time machine because you go back in time and you get to meet yourself. You get to meet yourself a couple days after school. College is done. The studies are over. You're fresh into the, the working world. You get to go meet, visit that Liam. What kind of things do you tell yourself? What kind of advice do you give yourself? Um, yeah, I think, I think probably the main thing for me is, and throughout, uh, throughout my career really, uh, especially now is like, is, is probably the thing that I've lacked the most and I would like to always address is, is confidence. Uh, I don't, I find that that's a, that's something that doesn't come naturally to me to always be able to step up and, and say my, my ideas in a room, especially if there's other more confident people. So I think, yeah, I think I would always want to tell myself I suppose to have the confidence um in like in what I do know and that also and to say it and just be confident about it, project it and then also to have the confidence to just say when I don't know and, and actually to yeah. be fine or just to be wrong which is also completely fine um and I think maybe that's where the fear comes from you know confidence just yeah. in, in what you're saying and whether it's actually gonna be the right thing or not that powerful words, man. Just, I mean, to have the confidence, I think when we're young, we think we need to know everything, but smartest person in the room usually isn't the loudest and usually isn't the one that knows everything. Right. You know, it's the one that asks all the questions. I mean, good questions are so valuable. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Sometimes, you know, you, yeah, but I think that's the one that's easy fooled. And I probably would before that the loudest person, I just always assume is the most confident, even like some, oh, the most correct as well, like I'm competent. And sometimes I would, you know, sometimes you sit there and you listen and at first, because someone's speaking, you're like, they must be right. <laughs> and then later yeah. I'm like, no, hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, and then we find out the opposite's true. They're usually the least confident and they're, they're usually the ones most insecure and they probably don't know the most. Yeah. Or they're trying to overcompensate for it being really, really loud. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on here. Where can people get in touch? They want to reach out, connect. What are some good platforms, some good apps, good URLs if they want to get info on Cognizant, all that? Yeah. Um, if they want to reach out and connect to me, just, uh, yeah, LinkedIn is the best way. Um, yeah, I'm open um, to all connections and chats and conversations. Love learning from um, other marketers as well. Uh, and any opinions you have, I, I love it. Um, and I'm all, we're also very happy just to share. We're quite open with everything we do at Cognizant in the marketing team. Um, I mean, it's part of the content we put out, but also I'm just very happy to share all of the ideas and things that we've put to market because I think sharing is truly caring in the in the marketing world. Um, and if you want to learn more about Cognizant, yeah, follow us on LinkedIn again or come on our website. Um, uh, we also have different uh, podcasts for um for different uh personas so we if please uh, subscribe to the loop if you're a marketer and then we've got redefining outbound if you're 
in sales or RevOps review if you're in uh if you're in RevOps, um uh which are great ways to find out a bit more about um the topics we talk about and what we do. Um I am also dotted around in different communities. Uh so you'll probably find me. I can't even keep track of all of them, but if you find me on any of those. What are your favorite ones? What are the ones you, you use the most often? Are you yeah, so well, still, uh, I think the ones that I'm in the most, I'm in Exit 5, uh, David Gerhardt's, of course, um, where I'm in the vault with uh, Refine Labs um, and in Metadata's customer community as well. And there's also um, uh, the um, Adam Holgram's uh, Demand Gen um, uh, community that I'm in for that, which is very focused on European markets. So and I've met lots of different people in there that uh, are global head of Bay Chamber Becker I met in that community as well. So yeah, if you if anyone ever wants to ping me on on a community and not You're everywhere. I should be around. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well this is great, man. Thank you so much for coming on here, schooling us all on mixing up that traditional marketing approach, crushing the funnel, the linear funnel, just smashing that thing with a Thor's hammer. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And if you're listening to this and you learned something, and I freaking know you did because I literally have two pages of notes over here, then share this episode with someone else. One person, two people, 9,000 people. doesn't matter how many people, but just put your thoughts on it. What, did, what was your takeaway? What was your one thing you're going to take action on here? Maybe it's that step away from forcing people into a path that they don't really want to go. Hey, we can all relate to that. So maybe you start reflecting your marketing that way too. Uh, and if that's how you feel, throw it in the comments, you know, share things, tag Liam, tag myself. We'll hop in there. We'll have a nice little healthy debate. We'll drink some beers and we'll have a great time. Um, and with that, Liam, thanks again, sir. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. This has been a crazy cool episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time. 